Welcome to the Nobody Told Me That podcast. My name is Teresa Duncan, and my goal is to share information that you probably weren't thinking about. I love preparing my friends for situations that may come completely out of the blue. I also want to share with you many of the tidbits I picked up over the years. If you absolutely have to tune out before the end of the show, make sure to check out the show notes for more details on today's topics and information about my online class, Dental Insurance Design and Management. And thank you so much for making me a part of your day. The topic of this episode could be distressing to some. We discuss workplace violence, including attacks, shootings, and resulting deaths. I hope that this episode sparks discussion about how you can keep your employees and yourself safe. My guest, Duane Tinker, and I would like to dedicate this episode to the following dental colleagues who are no longer with us. Dr. Kelly Weaver of Tennessee, Dr. Jack Burroughs, and Dr. Blake Sinclair of Tyler, Texas. These three were murdered in their offices. Dr. William Trollenberg of Newport News, Virginia, Dr. Lily Zhu of Oakland, California, Dr. Cindy Cho of Allen, Texas, and Dr. Kendra Hatcher of Dallas, Texas. These four were murdered outside of their office. And we are back with another edition of Nobody Told Me That. And today I have a very good friend of mine who has been a road buddy. I run into him on the road all the time, and I'm always excited because we have just so much to talk about. My friend Dwayne Tinker is here. How are you, Tink? Teresa, I am wonderful. It's good to good have to you here. here. Yeah, yeah. We ran into each other. Well, we run into each other a lot, but specifically at Voices of Dentistry, we were going to, um, we, we were like, why haven't we been on each other's podcast? We're here at a podcast, you know, seminar. Convention. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So that was kind of funny. And, and then we start talking about different topics. But before we get to that, because we do have a very, very important topic. I just want to tell people a little bit about you. You have a podcast yourself. You're a fellow podcaster, obviously. So talking yeah. with the tooth cop is it and it's compliance and i think my people dig compliance a lot we talk the same language uh so i'm hoping that you all go over there and check out his he is also a former in state investigator right for that's the correct. the texas dental board right yeah. so like that's where the compliance cop piece comes from uh so a lot of times when i have audit questions or when i'm like hey is this some this is going to get somebody nailed um that's basically when i call him and say hey tell give me the scoop here but other than that cuz i i just know you do so much give them the the tink talk of what what do huh. you bring to the table <laughs> you know i get that question a lot and you'd think i'd nailed down this elevator pitch but you know <laughs> even in trying to describe what i do to to potential clients and whatnot, it, it's kind of hard to describe. I don't want to tell people that I'm, I hate telling people I'm a compliance guy because, you know, people always, they're looking for a box to put you in and then yeah. like, oh, you're the OSHA guy. Well, okay. I'm a compliance guy. And a part of that is OSHA and infection control, but man, there's so much more to it than that, you know? So I, I started my consulting firm back in 2011 when I left the board with just a simple, crazy idea that I know the things that dentists and their staff do or don't do that cause mm -hmm. them to be in trouble, cause them to be in that defensive reaction mode to respond to a complaint, respond to an allegation. And I thought, man, what can I do to stand in the gap and make a difference for these doctors and staff to help them understand the regulations, help them understand how to comply, under help them understand that if they don't make good choices that here's how those consequences play out. And just with no idea what I was doing, I just 
built a business around that. I reached out to the very people that I used to investigate or that I had investigated and said, look, I crossed over to the dark side, if you will. Um, would it make sense for you to hire me to come back and show you how to make adjustments in your practice and your methodologies so that next time you have a difficult patient or an upset employee on how to navigate that situation so it doesn't blow up in your face and you don't have to answer for mistakes made? Mm -hmm. And all it took was just a couple of dentists to say, you know what? You're crazy, but I think this might make sense for me. And I just grew <laughs> a business from there. Um, here I am, you know, almost 13 years later, and, you know, I still still struggle to tell people what I do. But I, I guess the easiest way to describe it is I, I work with great dentists and great staff to hold them to their high standards, and whatever that looks like. You know, for some people, they're especially concerned about infection control. With others, you know, they're concerned about their record keeping. They've maybe never been audited, but they've heard of somebody who had an audit that went sideways on them and they ended up paying a lot of money back. And they know that they don't want that to happen to them. Um, I've had been through cases with uh, dentists that have had patients die in the dental chair because the, you know, mistakes made in either um, evalu or pre uh, sedation evaluations or they maybe just didn't handle things well in the back end and, you know, resulted in a disciplinary action and malpractice claims and all that. So, well, and, and when I think of the dentists who are calling you, they're wanting to do the right thing before it gets to like, they're being proactive rather than reactive. So to right. me, they're, they're trying to do the ethical right thing yeah. or they're just simply not trying to get fined or put in jail, which is, both are great motivators. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but just like with your dental care, you know, that pain medicine sells better than oral health prevention. Unfortunately, you know? that is the truth. So, yeah, that's uh, until we can turn that around in a, a even in a retail market or customer behavior market. Yeah. Unfortunately, dentists are are going to be very similar, which kind of brings up the conversation we had at VOD Voices of Dentistry. Yeah. So, and, you know, we, we have a good time talking, but there are times when it gets serious. And that's why I knew you would be the right person to bring this up because you see the gravity of some of these situations. So one issue that's facing our industry, but it doesn't really come to a head until a headline hits, which is very unfortunate, right. is workplace violence. It's, yeah. it's the threat to the, the dentist and their staff and their patients while doing the business of dentistry. And when we were together in Phoenix, we were going over all these different cases. And specifically, I know we'll bring up the, the dentist in Tyler, Texas. And yeah. we'll, we'll talk about, too, the what could have been done differently. But what was really amazing to me is you had more stories. I had stories. You had stories. Other people that we were talking with had stories. And this is sure. not an isolated thing. And I, right. as part of Nobody Told Me That, I want people to realize that this could very easily happen in our offices and let's take steps, you know, before that happens. But let's talk about the research that you did prior to this podcast episode. What did you find regarding dentists in the dental office? Well, so there was a study that was published on this here, research from the New York University College of Dentistry. And this is often cited in several different blog posts and news articles in the last few years, uh, talking about how one in five dentists been a victim of physical aggression, according to a survey that was conducted, apparently an online survey of dentists in the New York City metro area. Uh, wow. it, they indicated that like 21, cited 21 different types of aggressive behaviors in a 12-month period preceding the survey. I found that uh, about 25% of the dentists in New York City have been victims of physical aggression. Wow. I think you 
overlay that done to the rest of the dental community. I don't think this is a concern that's limited to New York City by any means. No way. No way. You know, as we see more and more issues of violence unfold in dental offices. Well, so. and even in, so 21, so let's talk about that. Let's, let's talk about even if you have 21 definitions of aggression, yeah. think of all that ranges. I mean, assault, pushing, verbal. I mean, there's just yeah. so much. Uh, a threatening look. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And and here's here's the issue is is when doctors when actually when a business owner opens up their doors and has employees, one of the duties is to provide a safe workplace. And correct. that's something that can come back on on the doctor. Is that is that correct? Am I hearing that correctly? Yeah. Right. So if you don't provide that, like say you get a threat or you hear that there's somebody that could be, you know, angry at you or maybe angry at one of the coworkers and you can't keep that quiet. You have to warn people that there could be an issue and what's the contingency plan. Have you ever run into that situation with any of your offices? I have. I've had quite a few people ask me about contingency plans. I've also, you know, given the nature of what I do, you know, I always tell my clients if you have an emergency, you know, call 911, but call me next and they do. And it's through those experiences that I've learned so much and encountered a lot. Unfortunately, I would say about a half dozen times, um, thereabouts in about a year's time, I'll hear from different people that I work with that have an employee that is either experiencing violence at home and the staff is concerned about how to keep that person safe, not only at the office, but also to keep themselves safe because of the risk of violence from that person's estranged uh, significant other. Or other questions like, geez, how can we protect ourselves in the office? Can we bring a gun to work? Are we allowed to have guns in a dental office? And those are sometimes difficult questions to answer. You know, the answer is not always yes, but it's not always no, you know? Well, the municipality matters too. Like, obviously, you know, some states you're not going to be able to do that. Um, I remember lecturing in, oh gosh, El Paso. And and we were talking about this and the guy up front, the dentist up front was like, oh, everybody in our office carries. That's not going to be a problem. <laughs> so, yeah. So, you know, it's very different in different areas. It just cracks sure. me up. You Texans are a, a whole different breed. It's adorable. <laughs> but you believe it or not, there's actually a lot of people that are like, you know, absolutely not allow guns in our practice here in Texas. So really? we actually okay. see both ends of that spectrum here. And because it's a private practice, they can make that rule. Is that correct? That's right. Okay. Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Okay, yeah. so let's let's go back to the studies and the research that you did. Yeah. So we have the different types of aggression, but there's the ultimate aggression that you found. You found some some stories on the ultimate aggression. Can you can you yeah. go over those? Yeah. So there's been a couple of dentists that have been killed in the dental office. There was the case last year. It's hard to tell the story here without getting it choked up because you know I mean it's it's been over a year, but you know it was a friend of mine. Um, there were two dentists that were shot and killed in Tyler, Texas, that uh, had a encounter with a patient that was un, unhappy with the uh, outcomes issue related to a denture. It was dentures, and the patient yeah, evidently that. wanted to, uh, yeah, the patient evidently wanted to keep the denture, but also get it re fully reimbursed by the dentist. The, apparently, the negotiations didn't go well. The patient went out to his vehicle, grabbed a handgun, went back into practice, and the dentist engaged him at the doorway in an effort to stave off a you know, situation there and things went south very quickly as the staff was vacating the, uh, the dental practice, uh, the patient shot and killed both the dentist. So this stuff happens. Yeah. And can you imagine, I mean, the staff, everybody's scared, but everybody at the same time is rushing to help. And, you know, you've got patients rolling around in there too. They're probably terrified. So there's a whole bunch of different, I mean, pure chaos, right? Just oh, yeah. pure chaos. So yeah. do you know much about the aftermath of it? Meaning like how did the staff handle like the weeks after, how did that go? Do you know? 
you know, I'm not exactly sure. I didn't keep up with the staff in that situation there, but you know, uh, I don't know, strange irony. I actually worked with that practice just a few months before that happened. Oh, wow. So, you know, wow. I actually, you know, had met a lot of the staff that were there and boy, there's no question that was a traumatic event for them. I would, you know, from what I understand that office is closed today. They did they never reopened that office. Yeah. Um, but I imagine for some of the staff, there's probably no way they're going back to dentistry. Right. You know? Well, I was just thinking, you just think of that loss of talent there, let alone, you know, the, the two lives that were lost in that case there, but the number of lives that were changed and yeah, death is a death and tragedy and violence. Just uh boy, that just, it changes so many things and not just for the people that are gone. Well, and I, I know, so I was just at the Southwest Dental Conference and I know one yeah. of the questions I asked, because this came up, the whole workplace violence and we brought up, I brought up the, the two dentists and, and their names again, uh, Dwayne, if you don't mind. Yeah. Dr. Jack Burroughs and Dr. Blake Sinclair. Okay. All right. So yeah. we just want to make sure that their, their names are heard. And we have one other name we'll, we'll discuss in a second. Uh, so we, I brought up this incident and about half the room, and this is in Texas and Dallas, half yeah. the room had not heard of the issue. and probably because they're brand new or they're just not paying attention to the news and, and whatever the reason is, but they knew. And so it was, became a talking point. But the one thing that, that I asked was, has anybody heard any updates on the case? And, and there have been, according to the audience, there really hasn't been any movement in the case. Are you aware of any movement? Yeah. So the, uh, the, the murderer was apprehended that afternoon okay. uh, at his parents' residence in Tyler and was charged with uh, capital murder. So um, as, um, as far as I'm aware, the uh, case is still pending, uh, okay. to go to trial. So my goodness. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. I wonder why, I always wonder why these things take so long. It just seems, Ooh. you know, yeah. The wheels of justice turn very, very slow sometimes. Yes. That's what I understand. It's not like law and order where everything just gets, yeah. you know, the book just 60 gets minutes and you're them. done. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Which really stings if you're the criminal and you're, you know, maybe you have a case to make, but, uh, yeah. okay. So, so we, we talked about the one in Tyler, and then you found that in addition to the two doctors, there was one other dentist that had actually been killed in practice, and uh, that was a result of your your research. So what is the story with that dentist? And it, I believe you said Tennessee? Yeah, so it was a case out of Tennessee, and I think it was like Colonial Heights or something like that. I'm not sure. I'm, I would guess maybe uh, Nashville. I'm not real familiar with that community. Um, but Dr. Kelly Weaver was apparently shot and killed by her estranged husband, and I believe there was a attempted murder from what I gather, apparently a, a coworker was also shot in the incident, um, and, and survived. So, um, and I believe that according to the article, it seems like the, uh, the husband was apprehended pretty quickly. Okay. I would say that's probably more the common, probably more likely in most violent situations is that the victim and the, the actor know each other. Mm -hmm. Um, I remember my first murder case back in my law enforcement days, my first day as a detective actually was, uh, I showed up at the office and, you know, walked in the middle of a, uh, my first murder investigation, uh, with an estranged husband that showed up at a nursing home where his wife was working oh, and, uh, shot her multiple times in the parking lot in front of, in front of all the residents in the nursing home. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, these things happen. And I would say that's, there's such a, such a widespread degree of domestic violence in any workplace, but, uh, and just, it seems like it's a widespread across the U S and a lot of times we just assume that, you know, between husband and wife, that's not always done always the case, though. But but I would say it's a high likelihood. Well, and um, I think so. that the other term for it is intimate partner violence. Yeah. Um, IPV is another term that you'll hear if you start doing research on this. And let me just 
then ask you, how do we as an office prepare for it? So say I'm the manager and I have uh, my assistant comes in and says, look, you know, things got rough at home. I I don't know where my my partner went, but he made some threats. I'm worried as a manager. What am I doing? What am I supposed to do? I think you need to address the immediate need. If we don't know where that person is, I think, you know, lock the doors. I know a lot of dental offices, a lot of people are very trusting. They don't secure their environment or recognize the need to do that. So keeping your back doors locked, keeping your windows locked, I think is always a good idea. Controlling access points is important. Making sure that you have the ability to see outside the front door, out the front window, so you can see as, uh, as potential violence is approaching. Having the means to be able to lock the door remotely, electronically, if you're able. Um, oh, interesting. I okay. I, okay. I know some more and more offices are moving to that point where they can push a button and lock the door. Granted, okay. if somebody's going to commit violence, you know, they could easily break the glass. But, you know, whatever reasonable safeguards you can implement, you, you certainly should. Um, have a plan. You know, understand what to do if you encounter that. You know, okay. if there's an active shooter or person with a weapon outside the practice, you do X, Y, and Z. Um, if there's somebody inside the practice, you do A, B, and C. Have a plan. Be willing to commit to that plan. And I think there's a lot of training, especially for like school districts that face potential active shooter situations. We don't really have much training like that for dentistry. But in school type school shooting type situations, they uh, they train to run, hide, fight. Okay. And I think that's simple. I think it's a good plan that we can follow. It's easy to remember. And I think that's a good starting point. So he said, run, hide, fight. So first thing you want to get away, right? And yeah. if you can't hide. hide. And if, if they, if it worse comes to worse, you fight. So yeah. yeah, yeah, that's, that's the sequence there. Now, is that, is that training that you offer? Do you, do you, you know, it's do not. That? You can find a bunch of YouTube videos on it, and there's police okay. departments that teach on this stuff. Um, oh, you know, good. Okay. So, so a police department, maybe you can call and yeah, see. Okay. So I would encourage anybody to reach out to their local police department. Surely they have community outreach officers, uh, maybe even SWAT officers that can come by and do a threat assessment and help you with your operational plan and uh, help your staff to understand how to how they would actually implement that run, hide, fight. You know, where do we run to? We're not just going to we're not going to run in the direction of the violence. We're not going to stop as soon as we get outside the back door. Um, what's the difference between cover and concealment? Um, what are weapons that we can use to defend ourselves? And you're in, if you're in that fight situation, well, so, let's talk about that. So, what is the difference between cover and concealment? What do you mean by that? So, the concepts of cover and concealment is a law enforcement officer, uh, or something that we trained in the academy and we utilized and leveraged all the time, whether we thought about it or not. Every time we have an engagement with the public, cover will stop a bullet and will also hide you. Concealment will hide you, but will not stop a bullet. So, you know, leveraging things like, um, you know, a berm or a tree or a fence and understanding, you know, that you may have to use concealment, though it's not ideal, Mm -hmm. but obviously cover is always a first choice, getting behind something sturdy that will stop a bullet. Um, You know, oftentimes those workplace violence situations are perpetrated by people using high powered weapons. Um, So it takes something pretty sturdy to stop a bullet. Mm -hmm. Um, And you may have to use concealment and run away from the incident behind a point of concealment to get to cover. And it's just being cognizant and having the the wherewithal when you're running away from a uh, dramatic situation like that, to be able to discern that, to make that decision that, hey, I'm going to get behind that row of bushes and run away from uh, the point of violence to a place of cover. 
as far as I can possibly get in a short time. Do you know if if offices, is it common to have sort of like a panic button that like banks do? Is that something that many offices have? I am seeing more and more of that. Okay. <laughs> and I always hear about it uh, when offices mistakenly test their button. But, so <laughs> the cops show up. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> Yeah, don't don't do that unless you really know the cop and you can say, "Oops, sorry," and you know, yeah. <laughs> move on there. It's always um, assuring to know that it actually works, though. But right, yeah. <laughs> no, I I had heard about that up in uh, North Dakota when I was there, and you know, okay. some of those offices it's remote, and yeah. and cops are not right around the corner, and so that they, right. they felt safe having some sort of panic button, um, yeah. and and so they had talked this out, and it always surprises me. There seems to be two levels in audiences when we talk about this. There's the audiences who have probably had. Experience experience or very safety aware. And one office even said they have a, a room, a safe room, like their laundry room actually has a very, like a solid steel door. So that's the room that they go to and there's a phone yeah. inside. And I was like, wow, that's amazing. It's like a safe room. Right. And then on the other side of the spectrum are offices that have not even considered this. And you can see yeah. like their eyes get wider and wider and wider as we start to share these experience. It's, it's also, yeah, crazy patients. Don't you, haven't you heard of these patients that stalk team All members? I have heard this so often. And if you really think about it, listeners in your office, it probably has happened. And you just kind of thought about, oh, that's that creepy dude that always comes in or that, that crazy girl that's always hot for the doctor, that type of thing. But yeah. they can get very, very dangerous, I think at times. So you've heard the stalking yeah. as well. Okay. Oh, yes. Yeah. For sure. And, and how are offices like, what do they typically do in those situations? Is there one plan of attack that you recommend? I think communication is key. Communication with each other, being honest about what's going on, being honest about your fears and working as a team to solve the problems together, I think is key. Sometimes, I mean, I get a lot of calls from people about that have difficult patients that they're like, you know, we know that if we're going to dismiss this patient that we have to do so, you know, according to a certain protocol mandated by our state board, um, there's exceptions to every rule. And one of those would be life safety. If you have a patient that you're so afraid of, that you're afraid would physically harm you, that feeling that you maybe can't articulate, that gut feeling, I would say always trust your gut. And there's an exception to every rule. If you have to violate your state board's rule and, and not see a patient for that 30-day dismissal period as not every state has that, but many do that follow up, make a police report, yeah. make an information report, make them aware. People ask me, Hey, look, wouldn't that be a HIPAA violation? Well, look, you're, first of all, under OSHA, you have an obligation to provide a safe work environment Two, HIPAA doesn't protect patients from criminal offenses and their perception of violence, your perceived threat of violence, um, you know, could be assault. At very least, it's a safety issue, um, and I would err on the side of your safety and, and make that police report. You know, yeah. identify that patient, say what needs to be said, and no more. So that doesn't mean that you can go out and error their medical history to the police officers, but you can certainly make that police report and identify the patient, who they are, where they live, how to contact them. Yeah, and, I mean, you don't need to talk about their root canal. You can just say, yeah, that's right. They're a patient of record, and that's it, right? Yeah. So as a former law enforcement making a police report for a civilian is a very big deal. Like it's scary. Like we don't know, you yeah. know, is what does this mean? But I think the biggest issue is, are we, is this just, are we making a mountain out of a molehill is, yeah. would you rather as a law enforcement get that police report? Or, I mean, is it, do you see a lot of just molehills? <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I do. And I don't, okay. uh, 
you know, what's the, what is the benefit of police report? It's not like we're going to file charges. It's just an information report. There's okay. a prior record, you know, in case there's an incident down the road that you previously reported that you felt a concern from this patient. So if sure. it happens, something further does happen. I mean, there's a record that there was an issue with a particular person. So that might be a starting point for an investigation. Or, you know, if it ends up that they end up filing, say, harassment charges on a patient, they can show a chronological order of events and how that harassment started and continued and maybe manifested into workplace violence. Yeah. I, I mean, I can't really see a downside to it. Okay. So. Okay. Yeah. Cause yeah. I, I think, you know, it just, it, it doesn't hurt. And if the, yeah. let the police tell you whether or not it's not relevant, you know, let them make that decision. Well, and it could be a situation where they might be able to just do extra patrols for a week or so, just in case, you know, there's that perceived threat of violence in case that person does come back. You know, if they drive by looking for a maroon station wagon, they drive by on one of their extra patrols and see that maroon station wagon, you know, holy cow, we better stop in and make sure everything's okay. I've had numerous situations over the years uh, where, you know, I had that very situation play out and, you know, somewhere it turned out to be nothing, but somewhere it actually turned out to be something. Wow. So, you know, that may be an option as well. So where, what do you say to offices? Let me give you a scenario here. And because yeah. this is, this is also something from the manager point of view, we, we get disappointed by this. You have a, a patient who is verbally abusive, just being a jerk, you know, yeah. doctor is reluctant to do anything about it because it's a patient and, you know, patients are jerks. But at what point do you have to really pay attention to that? Because your employee is sitting here saying, I don't feel safe. I don't feel comfortable. You and I both know the answer. We have to say something to the patient. The patient That's has right. to be dealt with. Have you had that conversation with the doctor to say, you know, look, this is your responsibility. How's that gone? I have. And it's interesting because a lot of dentists are just, their dentists seem to be, the average dentist seems to be, uh, seems to shy away from conflict. They don't want to have to deal with these situations. And oftentimes mm -hmm. they don't, even though they know that deep down that they should. And I think it's just, there's comes a point in time where they just need to man up or woman up and just deal mm -hmm. with it and stand up for their staff. And sometimes the staff are just being Persnickety. Being silly about, yeah, right. Yeah, Persnickety. Yeah. That's a good, I was trying to think, how do I say this here? So <laughs> PG, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, I think some of it, we just all need to, communication is key, you know, yeah. dismissing the patient because they're irritating, they use bad language, you know what, deal with it. But if mm -hmm. you can articulate or you have a feeling that there's a risk of violence because, yeah. you know, every their languages that raise their voice, they're making, they're clenched, their body behavior is such that you know, a reasonable person would uh, perceive a threat, then you need to do something about it. So one um, of the sometimes though, it's not even dismissing the patient. Sometimes you just let them go and hope they don't come back. Okay. Um, you know, the easiest way to dismiss them is to not send them that dismissal letter just because sometimes that exacerbates the situation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Just kind of push them off and maybe they won't make an there appointment. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and a lot of times too, they, you know, if they're not comfortable coming, if they're not made to feel comfortable, they're not going to. And actually, that's yeah. the type of person that probably it was a situational issue where right. tempers got elevated because a, a true like person who's wanting to do harm is going to come back. They're going to want to come back, I think. So right. uh, it's a scary situation. All these different types of people. The the whole thing you said earlier, were like, listen to your gut. I think more people should do that. I mean, if you're in danger, your body's trying to tell you that's your, your, your spidey senses, right? Yeah. You know, I tell you, my gut has saved my life literally more times than I can count, but people call it different things. Mother's intuition, gut instinct, mm -hmm. whatever that thing is, it's when you have that feeling that you can't really put into words or articulate, 
that's a gut feeling. And you know, the funny thing about that gut feeling is it's almost never wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And you'd have no? to trust it. You just have to trust it. And instead right. of saying things, cause I, I've been in pretty dangerous situations, you know, just not at work, but you know, almost got mugged in San Francisco, which I don't, I think that's a rite of passage nowadays to get mugged in San Francisco, but, uh, but, but there no, was so. that. Don't go to San Francisco. Yeah. No, no, actually there's a lot of reasons why I don't go. And that is top of the list right there. But okay. I, I remember thinking this ain't right. This ain't right. And in the back of my mind, this ain't right. Something's not right. And I was able to duck in. So I wasn't going to get mugged, but I'm pretty sure if I had continued walking down that street, it would have been all over and, and who knows what would have happened, but it was one of the most visceral reactions my body has ever had. Mm-hmm. And I was and the, the adrenaline hit and that's a real thing where like, you just can't stop. Like your mind is just going crazy. And, you know, finally, and then you're just like a big lump of jello. Cause you're like, Oh my God, I almost got killed. You know? So yeah. <laughs> there's a, that whole, that whole thing happened. The, what is that? The adrenaline dump is yeah, I think what they fight call or flight it. Kit. Uh, yeah. 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 So, I mean, and I said, you know, something's not right. That's not actually what, what is going through my mind. There was a lot of F bombs and S bombs yeah. going through and stuff. Hell so, yeah. but I do know that there have been times when I've talked with managers and said, okay, what, what do you do to keep yourself safe and all that? And I have heard some of the most, I don't want to encourage people to do this stuff, but I've heard some crazy things that they have up front. You know, I've heard anything from bear spray to wasp spray to pepper spray, which I'm like, dude, have you ever sprayed pepper spray? Like that always comes back on you. Like, trust yeah. Me. <laughs> so, yeah. and, and then I hear um, one, one girl keeps tennis balls in a tube and she just uses them. You know, she's like, I'll just throw that and that'll buy time for everybody to get back. And I was like, wow, she really like thought this through. Like I've heard some very strange things. If somebody doesn't have the gun, because not everybody's going to have a gun, is there one thing that you'd recommend putting into place up front? You kind of opened the door and I was hoping that we'd go here, Teresa. So okay. I'm going to okay. take a liberty and just kind of expound upon this a little bit. So one of, the, one of the reasons I'm not a f- fan of the idea that a, bringing a gun to the office is always the best answer is quite frankly this. Most of the people that work in dentistry we're here because we're good people, because we have a gift of mercy. We have a heart of compassion because we're not violent people. And for good people like that, even responding to violence is difficult to do for people that are good people. So you may, with the best of intentions of protecting your staff, bringing a gun to the office, but when it comes right down to it, you find that you can't pull the trigger. And then boom, you lose your life. Yeah. What good is that? Yeah. So, you know, I often I have a permit to carry a handgun and I very seldom, if ever, carry one because I know that I'm more inclined to find myself in a situation that I can easily just walk away from and be an expert witness and make a greater good doing that than I can actually being the trigger man myself. I have the skill, the training, the ability, the willingness to be that violent front man if I need to. But the average person does not. And I'm always concerned about that because, you know, we talked about that run, hide, fight earlier. Look, that last case scenario there where you can't run, you can't hide. So guess what? Now you got to fight. And this person's in your face. You don't have time to think. One, can you get to the gun? Two, is that gun accessible to the bad guy? Does the bad guy know that you have that gun? Does the bad guy know where it is? Can you get to it before he or she does? If you get it, are you willing to commit and follow through, actually use it? Forget the handgun for a second here, but you're still in that violent situation that you have to address. And it's you against the other person, and they're going to kill you, or you're going to have to kill them. Mm-hmm. Because you're good people, a lot of 
people don't realize that you need to reconcile the idea that it's okay to use violence against somebody who's used violence against you. And if you're not able to reconcile it beforehand, and a lot of people can't because of religious reasons, spiritual reasons, just because you're good people and that's all there is to it reason. Mm-hmm. I think that's something that people need to weigh ahead of time and reconcile that. So assuming that you can, great. What are the things that you can use? Well, you got a fire extinguisher, bear spray, maybe pepper spray, yeah. stun gun. You've got the letter opener at the front desk, get the, the computer screen. If you can lift it, if you can throw mm. it, you have access to it, you know, use what you have in your hand. You've got a scaler, mm-hmm. you got a handpiece, you know, drill them in the eye, grab the, grab their testicles. I mean, right. there's no reason. It's not a fair fight. Right. Be willing to be unreasonable to overcome that violence against you and to defend a third person there. Whatever that looks like does not matter. doesn't have to be pretty. The optics don't matter. But you got to win, so you got to commit to that. You got to reconcile that. You know what? That God will forgive you. That your higher power, whatever, whoever that may be, you'll be okay in the back end spiritually mm-hmm. to protect yourself in the life of somebody else. It's just things that people don't think about. You know? Does that well, make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. It's very, very profound. Um, I'm glad you went there. The the thing is, when you have this communication, when you have this meeting with everybody, it's important that everybody. You don't have to give an answer because that's not that's between you and your maker. But you right. have to know, are you ready to do that? So I, th- I yeah. think it's very smart to think about it ahead of time so you're not in that situation. And and the people that would reconcile and be okay with it, then they likely will be the ones to pick up whatever it is. But I love what you said. Sure. If you can lift it, you can throw it. Right. Um, you're right. Because I think at that point when you're fighting for your life, you're throwing everything. You're just trying to toss everything in their way. I wouldn't have thought to lift up the monitor. Now I'm going to be lifting up monitors left and right. You know, so. there's a quote. <laughs> There's a quote by Mike Tyson. I'm not exactly sure how to quote the quote, but but I love quotes, by the way. But it's like everybody has a plan until you get punched in the face. Yes. <laughs> and that is so Tyson. true. I mean, I've, I've been in fights, <laughs> yeah. you know, where I thought I was going to come out on top and, you know, I'm bottom of a dog pile and got my arms out to the side, either side and I'm pinned on my stomach with six people on top of me. <laughs> and I've got a gun on my hip, so I couldn't oh. do anything and I was pretty powerless. But I mean, I've been there, done that. And that was like my equivalent to getting punched in the face. Um, <laughs> yeah. You thought you had a plan. Thought I had a plan. <laughs> you had a plan. So you mentioned stun gun yeah. or taser. And is that, yeah. I mean, can regular people buy those? I've never even looked into it. It depends on the laws in your state, but most states allow you to have some sort of protect self-defense mechanism. Okay. And you so. do not rec- you do not recommend using those in team meetings to try them out, right? <laughs> <laughs> Only I'm the freaking enjoy. new guy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see if he can hack at this dude. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Initiate the new doctor, you know. Well, and the one thing I learned from taking self defense classes is I was taught that if you do pepper spray, first of all, spray it and learn not to spray it when you're you know downwind. But in an office, you're not going to have that. But be prepared that it's going to get on you. And that was one thing that, you know, it's that sucks, right? Doesn't that suck? It sucks. Especially if you have ceiling fans in your office, then everybody's getting it. So be careful. (laughs) Yep, that's exactly right. But the thing about the wasp and the the bear spray, I was told, is that it's because it's such a long spray that it can be used from long distances. And then other people in the the conversations were like, well, all that's going to do is just piss off the dude. And- Okay. Right. Okay. Well, see, and I've never, yeah. And I've never, I have not ever sprayed a bear. So I do not know. (laughs) I can say I haven't either, but but (laughs) we talked about the cover and concealment earlier, you know, try and beat somebody over the head with the fire extinguisher. If that doesn't work, then spray them in the face and spray it as you're running away. So now you're creating a cloud for you to hide behind as you're running away. 
Oh, that's you smart. can use okay. it that way. So don't when you beat somebody in the head with a fire extinguisher, don't let go of it. <laughs> Discharge <laughs> it as you run away. So and that so it does become used as a weapon on you. So that's the thing is you don't ever release your weapons. So whatever uh, they may be. Okay, so I see what you mean. So, yeah, because you don't, and that's the problem with the guns too. I mean, and just right. from you know, I'm I have a concealed carry as well, and and that's yeah. they drill it into us in in the safety classes that. You know, most people will have it turned against them if they're not sure how to use it. So it's yeah. It's, if you have to let it go, empty it before you let it go, so it can't mm-hmm. be used against you. Might be able to use it to beat you with, but they won't be able to use you to sh- use it to shoot you with. Yeah, or so, toss it, toss it as far away as you can get, so they yeah. don't get to it. You know, so or you yeah. know, don't just throw it at their head like we see in the videos. Just throw it out so you can't get it. So it sounds like yeah, you and I, you, you may have been my instructor, maybe. So it's, it's very similar, <laughs> kind of hearing the same thing. So I, you know, I don't want this to be so you know, much of a downer, but I can't impress upon our listeners enough that these are real life situations that happen all the time. I mean, especially it's been so tumultuous lately in our day and age. There's so many angry people walking around, unstable people that it's not a stretch to think that one of those people will walk into your office and maybe you don't even know them. So it's not a stretch, especially if you're in a retail setting, one of those strip malls, you know, it's it's just not out of the realm. So I just want people to be aware that, that you can do this ahead of time. Active shooter, you talked about um, reaching yeah. out to the community, outreach people and seeing about that, reaching out to you and see, you know, if you have any thoughts for people, you know, maybe engaging yeah. you for a service and, and seeing about a potential uh, or maybe a threat assessment or whatever. Yeah. So, but you've done that for lots of people, right? You've done like threat assessments. You've also done audit assessments. And one thing, let's pivot away from okay. violence and pivot to something that sometimes makes people feel violent, not good violent, but feel violent, which is uh, insurance. Taxes? Oh, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> insurance. Okay, there you go. <laughs> the other one. Yeah. Yes. Um, so many, we, I noticed on your website, and I had not noticed it before, is that you have um, Medicare fraud, waste, and abuse training. And so listeners, Medicaid. one of the- Medicaid. Okay. So yeah. Medicaid, not Medicare, Medicaid. Okay. Right. So, so let me, so, so even let me, let me hear that. Is that for Texas that you do that or for all Medicaid's? I have one that's Texas specific, but I have one that's pretty universal too. And a lot of that is about teaching dentists and their staff on the fraud, waste and abuse laws, the healthcare okay. laws that are used to prosecute healthcare providers for healthcare fraud. Okay. So being familiar with that, understanding how to prevent that. And for those of you that participate with Medicaid, mm-hmm. that is an annual requirement that was, uh, became law under the Affordable Care Act way back 2009. And here we are, what, 13, 14 years later, and most people still don't know that. Well, so. it's not going away either. So no. I think we're getting even more regulatory. It's awful. That's right. The direction we're going in. And I thought it was affordable, $39. I, th- I thought that was super affordable. So check that out. And you also yeah. have, I have it up in my slides in my documentation classes, but you have a clinical notes template set. So do you want to just real quick talk about that? Because I think many, I mean, all I do is talk about documentation. Here you have a whole set of them. So what's the deal? What's going on in that set? Well, so I have clients that are audited regularly, mostly Medicaid, but I also receive calls from people who are audited by PPO, just commercial insurance plans. Mm -hmm. And they're calling because they're mad that the insurance companies didn't like their notes. They were incomplete, inaccurate, you know, didn't support what they coded or billed. You know, they weren't detailed enough. So over the years, I've kind of put together my own clinical templates and I've especially optimized them for those Medicaid providers here in Texas. Their documentation requirements are so onerous. It's ridiculous. Yeah. But I see both sides of this here. I see dentists that just my notes are there for me and I know that I don't do anything from my patients unless they actually need it, but they don't recognize the importance of having to tell the story. Well, you looked in your patient's right. mouth. What did you see? 
What did you look at? What did you see? How was it necessary for you to do the procedures that you did? And I'm seeing almost as much scrutiny here in the last couple of years outside of Medicaid mm -hmm. as I am inside of Medicaid. So, you know, guys, let's face it. The government's broke. And guess what? They've paid you a bunch of money. They know where their money is. Where do you think they're going to get it? Absolutely. Absolutely. When the easiest, it's like shooting fish in a barrel to get infection control inspection, HIPAA inspections, or any kind of inspections, really, it's going to result well, in most offices, it's going to result in a fine. You know what cracks me up? You look at all these cases that have hit the news and become sensationalized. You know, that oral surgeon in 2013, Tulsa, Oklahoma, mm -hmm. uh, Oklahoma Dental Board went national to report on this dentist that potentially infected his patients uh, with infectious diseases. You look at that, the hoverboard dentist up in uh, Vancouver. Ale Alaska. You know, I remember when that yeah. went viral the first time. I was like, man, that guy is an idiot and he's going to prison. Right. Both those <laughs> doctors were busted for Medicaid fraud. The office manager, office manager too for the, the hoverboard yes. dentist too. She got yep. nailed. Mm -hmm. So, you know what? I go into work with a practice, you know, holistically. I'm looking at a number of different issues and, uh, you know, they call me about record keeping concerns. And I'm looking at them at their infection control. I'm like, dude, what does this have to do with the other? Like, because this is the string they're going to pull that will be your demise. Yeah. So if we don't address this, I mean, it started with infection control complaint in both those cases mm -hmm. and then sedation issues. And then, well, the one Dennis went to prison. Yeah. So. Well, and, you know, we talked, we just briefly brought it up, the regulatory environment. It's getting worse yeah. and worse. And as the Medicaid, I mean, the Medicaid programs are just a mess in all states, honestly. They're just a mess. And oh, yeah. I don't know how dentists keep track of it. You know, every two years, you either add adult Medicaid, then you take it away. Then you add it, then you take it away. The requirements are ridiculous. I was yeah. blown away to learn about, for Medicaid offices, you have to attest that you don't employ any criminals. Like, you have to, <laughs> like you well, have to make sure that that's that stayed up to date. Yeah, tell us about that, because well, I don't okay, think a lot so of people know this. So you're talking about exclusions checks, and what that is is not a criminal background check. It's about checking published state and federal lists of people who are not eligible to work in a Medicaid environment. It could be because of non-payment of health education assistance loans. In Texas, they a few years ago added the database for all the parents that were kicked out of the food stamp program for abusing their food stamps. Oh, wow. And these people are added to a list that says that they can't work in an environment that receives money from, from the government. So as part of your due diligence, doctors and DSOs, you've got to, pre as a part of your pre-employment checks, make sure that your staff's not excluded in not just the state that you're in, but in any other state. And then you need to, you know, put them on a maintenance plan where you're checking you and all of your staff on a periodic basis in the compliance industry. That standard is typically monthly to mm -hmm. make sure that during somebody's employment, you know, their past doesn't catch up with them and they become excluded while they're working under your employee because if a person did something in, you know, they lived in Washington and three years ago, what they did three years ago, maybe it wasn't a criminal act, but whatever they did, they got added to their state's exclusion list. And, you know, three months into their employment with you, they become excluded. That effectively taints every otherwise clean claim that you submit to Medicaid. And you have some liability under that to one, have to stop the bleeding, let that employee go. And two, to maybe self-report that to minimize your consequences under the fraud and abuse laws. Now so, that employee would, would be made aware of it, but that doesn't mean they're going to disclose that to you. Well, right. And it doesn't mean that they would even think, not that they were trying to willfully hide that from you, but they may not understand the ramification of it. 
yeah. that exclusion. So, yeah. And I've usually, when I have an excluded person, they're usually a dentist and they usually know about it already. Mm, so mm, interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And, and this are the kind of rules and regulations that when you take government money, state, local, federal, there's yeah. a lot of stuff that comes attached to it. And uh, I don't know if a lot of people realize that as we sort of meander down the possible merging of the two worlds. Um, I think the stuff sounds so science fiction that people have a hard time believing when I tell them, you know, things like exclusions and, you know, what that means for their practice. So like a lot of dentists, and a lot of people do, they just stick their heads in the sand and declare that ignorance is bliss, but it's not, it's just really dangerous. Right. It is. And that's why, I mean, it's a perfect topic for this, this podcast. I don't want you to ever be, you know, in a situation where you're like, I, I didn't know that. And cause they're not, yeah. they're still going to find you. They're going to go, Oh, that's so sad. And then here's the bill. Uh, so yeah. <laughs> th- there's no letting you off. Yeah. So well, yeah. maybe you should read more. So yeah, <laughs> you'll sure. hear that. Um, okay. So you've got, you've got lots of resources. You've got the clinical notes, you've got the fraud, waste and abuse training, just a plethora of information there, your ocean HIPAA guidance. So for yeah. those of you, I want you to, I'll put a link to his website in the show notes, but I want you to check him out. Uh, you run events a couple times a year. Um, and I, I think by the time this comes out, your one in September will already be passed, but you run them yeah. a couple times a year, right? What do you call them? The, co- the boot camp? Right? Yeah, I do a compliance boot camp, and then I'm also okay. doing a second one for a, a DSO compliance summit. Nice. nice. So, yeah. Okay. And yeah. and we'll be together in Nashville for the insurance extravaganza that uh, our friend Christine Taxon puts on. Uh, so that'll be fun. So if you guys are uh, wanting to to come up to Nashville and hang out and talk nerdy compliance stuff with us, because uh, that's what we'll be doing, right? <laughs> yeah. And they'll be in early February, so come hang out with us. We'll jam. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So, all right, uh, Duane, so how do they reach you? Just give me the website and tell them how to get in touch with you, and then we'll sign off. Well, first of all, connect with me on Facebook, LinkedIn, um, preferably Facebook. I'm on Facebook. Uh, I've got a Facebook group. It's the Dental Complaints Facebook group. So hit me up there. Um, come join our community and check out my podcast, Talking with the Tooth Cop. So I'm an easy person to find. So if I can help, I certainly welcome the opportunity to have a conversation with you about how to help you protect your practice. And you have always been helpful. Everybody that I send over, that's that's what I hear. Well, so you've been as much a resource for me as I have for you. I, so I appreciate I try. that. I try. All right, dear listeners. So hit him up and see if he can be of any help to you. And you know, I always appreciate that you spend your time with me. And I do want to dedicate this podcast episode to the three dentists who have lost their lives. And also um, hoping that this will inspire you all to make yourselves and your teams a little bit safer. Thank you. We're all super busy, so thank you for making time for me today. The show notes will have any links that we referenced in the episode. You can also find links for my book, events, and my online insurance course, Dental Insurance Design and Management. I speak often around the country on management and insurance issues. Come hang out with me in one of my classes. I promise you'll laugh and learn.